and you are everything. Lord, there's nobody that compares to you. And Lord, in this place today, as, we, as we've just sang, we reverence you. We bow down before you, for you are savior of the world. You're our savior. You're our savior. Lord, thank you for finding us, accepting us just as we were, lost in sin, going on a different path. But Lord, you, you laid down your life for us. And like Dave said today, how much more will you freely give us all things? because of your love for us. So Lord, today I just pray, whatever needs are in this place, whatever concerns may be in the hearts of people today, Lord, I pray that you'll just minister throughout the service. Lord, any weights and burdens Lord, in your presence, they dissolve. So, Lord, today, we're your bride. Your precious, precious bride. So, Lord, have your way in this place to minister to us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, you may be seated. We're having a heat wave. <laughs> Who's enjoying the sun? Yeah, no complaining or grumbling. We're brilliant as Brits at complaining and grumbling, aren't we? We complain about the rain. We complain about the sun. We're really good at doing stuff like that. But do you know what? God is good. And I certainly love the sun. It, I love waking up to the sun. It's brilliant. So this morning, I want to share with us about following God's blueprint for our lives. A number of months ago, I was reading a devotional by Nicky Gumbel. And he was talking in this devotional about early on in his marriage to his wife, Pippa. They went to a conference. And during one of the sessions of this conference, they did a whole section on priorities. And they gave them five cards. And on these cards were the titles, God, Work, Ministry, Husband or Wife, and Children. And the speaker of the session said, just take a few moments and just put them into priority, how you think these five words should be, listing the top one first and the least important secondly. So Nikki had to think about that, and based on how he viewed things, he placed the five cards in this order. God first, ministry second, wife next, work and then finally children. 
He hadn't had children at this point, it's fair to say, so he didn't really feel that they were very relevant to life. So they went to the bottom of the list. So within that weekend, as they began talking about priorities, he found out or realized he actually had completely the wrong priorities in his life. He felt pleased with himself that he managed to put God first, but beyond that, he felt that the priorities, the way he had listed them, were a bit skewed. And so he said that um, it became clear to him during this weekend that really the way he would see the priorities set out are as follows, and they're going to come up onto the screen. So first of all, it's God, then it's your husband or wife, then it's your children, then it's your work, and finally, it's your ministry. Now, initially, Nikki had ministry at the top right next to God, but he came to realize that whilst ministry is very important, it should never be allowed to displace the primary responsibilities in our lives. When I read this article, I was really blessed by it. First of all, I was really blessed by it because I really felt that the way that Nikki Gumbel had ordered these priorities, they, they really resonated with me in terms of the way that he had that order. And secondly, it excited me because at the outset of this year, the Holy Spirit never has ha it's never happened like this before, but the outset of this year, the Holy Spirit outlined to me certain subjects that I was going to share with our church family over this next year. And one of the things that you press, um, impressed on my heart was to share about marriage and to share about our work. So when I read this, I was so excited. And, and that's what I'm going to do today. I wanted to just pick up on three of those priorities that are listed, and we're going to have a look to see what God's blueprint is for our lives in these areas. Because if you look through the Bible, God clearly has patterns and blueprints for our lives. And he, he gives us these to help us build our lives from. So if you were to look at Noah, when he was asked to build, build the ark, God gave in Genesis 6 very clear instructions as to how Noah was to build this ark. If you then look at when he instructed Moses to build the tabernacle, again, God gave very clear instructions. Exodus 25 says this, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. And then when Solomon was going to begin building the temple, David said to him in 1 Chronicles 28, 19, every part of this plan, David told Solomon, was given to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. So God is our God, who's not a chancer God, who just doesn't make things up on the spur of the moment, but God is a God who builds according to pattern. God is a God who thinks about our lives. He thinks about the things that he asks of us and he sets out clear directions for us in all different areas so that we can build correctly, so that we can build strong. 
That's the whole purpose, hey, of having a blueprint and a pattern is that we can build things strong. We can have strong foundations from which to set our lives and we build up from there. And God has these patterns. So we're going to look today at following the blueprint for our lives in firstly our relationship with God, secondly our marriages, and thirdly with our work. So first of all, I want us to look at following the blueprint of our, um, in our relationship with God. This is what Matthew 6, verse 33 says from the Amplified. But first, and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, which is his way of doing things and being right. It's the attitude and character of God. And all of these things will be given to you. Over recent messages in the months of 2022 in particular, I've shared a lot about priorities. I've shared a lot about the importance of us placing God first in our priorities. Because the reality is, when God is at the center and when we do things according to his way, life works. End of. That's the way it is. Life works when we do it his way. And seeking after God is more than just waking up and then, oh, here he is. No, seeking after God is about wholehearted devotion. It's about us actually pursuing, striving after, wanting to know more about God. I don't know whether you noticed, but when we got saved, God didn't transport us from Newport, Wales, Cardiff, wherever you're from, and he didn't place us onto an isolated island and just said, right, this is now the kingdom. No, he didn't do that he kept us where we are so the reality is that we are still surrounded by other influences other than God so we've got to really make decisions for our lives about where we're going to allow our attention to be driven drawn to and the Bible says that we are to make sure that our attention is drawn to and directed towards God. Seek first. Can I just say this? And I know I've talked about it and I'm not going to spend long on this, but this is a conscious decision. Seeking first the kingdom of God is a conscious decision that we have to make every day because there are so many things that want to try and pull our attention away from the things of God. And the reality is, the things that pull our attention away from the word of God and from God himself are actually going to be in direct opposition to the way that God builds his kingdom. Because this earth, this secular society in which we live in, the, if they've not, if people haven't become um, followers of Jesus, they are building their lives according to their own patterns. And we know that the Bible says that our ways are not God's ways. We naturally do everything in almost direct opposition to what God says, which is why we've got to seek first Him. When we follow Him, He changes us from the inside out but we're on a journey of discovering what God says about our lives and that requires time and investment and devotion because his kingdom isn't set up the way that the kingdoms of this world are set up 
So how do we know what the kingdom of this um, God is set up? Like, well, we've got to go seeking for it. We've got to go looking for it. We've got to find out what is God's attitude towards this? What does God say about my life in relation to this? And then beyond it, it's not just good enough to say, well, I know now. I've read it, and this is what the Bible says. We've then got to put legs on what we've read and actually do it. We've got to actually make this become our reality because we're now kingdom people who are called by God's name and he has a pattern for our lives that he asks us to build our lives from. And this pattern is designed to bring great blessing to our lives. God doesn't ask us to seek him first because he's got a big ego and he's a tyrant No, he's got you and me in mind because he wants our lives to go from strength to strength. John 10.10 says, I have come that you may have life and life in abundance. That is the heart motivation for God's life towards us. Ephesians 5.1 says this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. He doesn't say for us to imitate the culture in which we live. We still reside in this world. We're not transported somewhere else. God wants us where we are because that's where we can affect the greatest change. We actually, when we, um, when we ask Jesus into our lives, we become citizens of light. The world is in darkness and God's plan, master plan, is to bring light to every person's life. He wants people to encounter Jesus. That's why he leaves us where we are so that we can shine a light in the midst of a dark world. How do we shine a light in the midst of the dark world? It's by imitating God and doing what God asks us to do. Often I find one of the challenges is, is that when life is going good, it's easy to get, like, just get busy with stuff. Life's going well, you're doing this, and sometimes we can get our attraction caught up with so many things that God can actually just, I don't know, just drift away in our thoughts. But isn't it funny when crises has come? Have you ever noticed when all of a sudden you're faced with a crisis, perhaps it's a doctor's report that's absolutely thrown us, or maybe it's something terrible that's happened in the family. What I find is, you know, wild is often in the crisis, all of a sudden one of the first things we do is begin to reevaluate our priorities, And more than ever, we begin to cling on and look for and search for God in that. Do you know what? The best way of doing things is not waiting for a crisis to occur for us to realize that God needs to be first place. The best way of doing things is just saying, do you know what? I love Jesus with all my heart. This is not just about me going to heaven when I die. This is about my life being changed here on earth. It's about understanding that in the Bible, there is a whole 
blueprint for my life. And if I will put it into practice, I will see my life go from strength to strength. It doesn't mean that we won't have problems that we have to navigate. It doesn't mean that there won't be potholes on the way we trip down. But what it does mean is that we say, do you know what? Whilst here on earth, I am going to live the kingdom way. So honestly, my encouragement for all of us today is every day to make conscious decisions to seek first his kingdom, to seek him first, because he is the only one that illuminates life. Beyond that, there's no other way for life that's going to lead to any kind of um, fulfillment long term. So the next thing I want us to look at is following the blueprint of our lives in relation to um, our marriages. Sadly, we live in a world where, where marriage does not place a very high value, um, where um, they don't, society doesn't place a very high value on marriages the way that God does. It's becoming an increasingly um, popular belief in people's minds that it's easy come, easy go. They've even passed laws Laws are being passed where people can get divorced, like no-fault laws are being passed where people can now get divorced. And the world in which we live is crumbling and is ripping apart an institution that was created by God. And it's devaluing it. And the impacts of this, like a far-reaching society. We've got to understand, aside from our relationship with God, the marriage relationship is the most important relationship that God gives us. And the relation, thank you. Oh, gosh. Ah. Now the tissues are making me cry. No. I just think that we've got to be really careful that we understand the significance of the relationships that God places in particular marriage. Because when marriage breaks down, it's heartbreaking. It, it devastates. It devastates people. There's, if you were to ask anybody that has gone through divorce, you will, you will not find people praising it. You will say how it rips you apart, how it crushes you, how it bruises you, how it impacts children, how it impacts families. And you know what? That's what the enemy wants to do in people's lives. Just like God wants to bring life to people's lives, the enemy wants to tear down and rip apart. He wants to destroy things. And he will attack marriage. 
importantly, he will attack marriage because he knows if he attacks that, he is impacting so many realms and spheres of society and impacting generations. You know, if anybody has... I've gone through the heartbreak of, um, you know, having parents that have been divorced. You'll know for yourself some of the concerns that you have then when, um, when choosing to get married yourself, that you want to try and find something that lasts because you know how heartbreaking it is to watch the marriage relationship break down. When I was growing up, I had this fairy tale idea of marriage, and I still hold that fairy tale and the image of marriage, actually, because I, I looked at it and I thought, well, God created it, so surely God only creates good things, and it used to really upset me, like teenager now, it used to really upset me when I'd hear people talking derogatory. I'm not meant to be crying. I don't know I am. Um, but it would really upset me listening to derogatory comments made about marriage. Things that are said in jest, like, oh, I get less serving a life sentence. Things like that, because for me, I was like, well, like, God only creates good things. So why is there so many people that have got bad things to say about marriage? And I can remember even when I was in the youth, we, we once had a question and answer session. And I, um, I, they said, does anyone have any questions? So I put my hand up and I'm like, why do people have problems in the marriages? And everyone on the panel went, Oh, that's a bit of a big question, Faye. And I'm like, no, I, I don't mean to be prying, but like, is it God's best that we go through lots of problems? Is that what God's, like when we get married, are we to expect all these problems? And, um, you know, some of the, um, the couples were actually really very um, kind-hearted in their responses to me. And they just said, well, Faye, sometimes things can happen for a variety of reasons. Oftentimes, like, people may go through tough times in marriage because maybe we haven't been communicating the way we should have. Um, finances sometimes can play a big part into, you know, stresses in marriage, especially if two people are not on the same page with the way that, um, you know, money should be spent and things like that. So I used to take all of this in because I thought, you know what, when I get married, I want a good marriage. I want a good marriage. I want a marriage that I can say is fulfilling. I want a marriage that brings me joy and brings me blessing. So I began to just dig around in the Bible about marriage because I'd been dreaming about getting married. And like we know, the beautiful thing is that God didn't create marriage to be ever a burden for us. So I'm going to kind of set a kind of just a, a kind of baseline here about marriage because we may have all come from different backgrounds and maybe we've not heard this before. So I'm just going to say, okay, God did not create marriage to be a burden. Marriage is one of God's biggest blessings. It actually comes with some of the highest joys of human life. And and marriage is a beautiful and intimate relationship, unlike any other relationship that we will have in our lives. God gave 
marriage as a gift to Adam and Eve. It was a gift to them. And he places extremely high value and priority on marriage. In fact, marriage is so spectacular in God's eyes that he actually uses this relationship to be the relationship that reflects um, the relationship between Jesus and his church. This is the relationship that God uses to reflect that, that marriage relationship where Christ is the bridegroom and we are the bride. That is how high a priority that God places on that relationship. So what is marriage? Because marriage is more than just a piece of paper that you collect on your wedding day. God instituted marriage, and when the Pharisees were asking Jesus about things, he shared this verse from, the, um, from Genesis with them that we read of in Matthew 19. And he says this, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Sorry, I'm still suffering the consequences from crying. My nose is running now. It's all going on, isn't it? Running nose, everything. Right, okay. So I want to just look at the three basic aspects that we read of in this, um, this text that we find in Genesis and we find repeated throughout the Bible about marriage. There are three key stages, three basic aspects to marriage. And first of all, we read in verse 5, there is the public act of leaving. So it says, verse 5, for this reason, a man will leave his mother, or his father and his mother. Okay, when somebody gets married, that all of a sudden breaks that previous family bond that that a man had with his family because he is now leaving that family saying, I love you, but actually I am now going to join myself to this woman to bring her as my wife and we are going to join together and create a new family unit. When he leaves, he is making a commitment that says, you are now taking priority over every other relationship in my life. That's what happens when we, when we start out through marriage. We leave what we had and we become, we make a commitment, which means that as parents, if we're parents, it means that you now don't get to like have the say in things, okay? Parents, take a step back, no meddling. Your son or daughter, whilst you love them, when they get married, they have now created a new family unit and they need to run that family unit the way that they want to. If they ask for advice, give it, but don't go putting our noses in where they're not wanted, okay? 
So for a husband and a wife, when you get married, our primary responsibility becomes to that unit. It's not saying we'll never see our parents again and our family, but actually we've got a new set of priorities now. And your husband and your wife will take the highest priority in our lives. And sometimes that's not the way things are viewed, which is why I just want to bring it out there that this is what the Bible says. Husbands and wives, your top priority is to one another. It's secondly, the second aspect is that the man and the woman are joined together. They're taking responsibility for each other's welfare, and they are making a choice to love one another above all others. Okay? Marriage is between one man and one woman. No other people get involved, okay? No others. And it doesn't say along the way it's okay to have extra relationships with other people because it's not, okay? One man, one woman, lifelong um, um, commitment, and you are joining together to say this is us now. Marriage is the joining of two people. The two become one. This is like supernatural and it's mystical and we can't necessarily get our heads around it, but this is the way that God designed it, okay? The Bible says when we get married, the two become one. It's not two people becoming one and two, people, two halves becoming whole. We actually become one. We're no longer two, but we're one. We're joined together. And we're joined together just not physically and biologically, but we're joined together emotionally. And we're joined together socially, spiritually, and psychologically as well. There's a joining and a knitting together. Think about this in the creation account. When God created Eve, he could have formed her from the dust like he did Adam. He could have just created another human, formed her out of the dust. But he was creating Eve to be a helpmeet to Adam. And it says that he actually took her from Adam. He chose to take her from his flesh and from his bone. That is God symbolically at the beginning of creation actually outlining this whole idea of the two being one. We see through the creation account of God creating Eve that he took her from Eve. They're melded together. They're, they're part of one another. And it's it's beautiful. And like I said, it's, it's almost mind-blowing because we can't do these things. But God can because he's creator. And this is how important that this relationship is. That at the outset, he says, no, I'm going to demonstrate what this two become one looks like. I'm going to create Eve from the side of Adam. So we've got the leaving of the old family to start a new unit. We've got long-lasting commitment that the husband and wife make together, and they are joined together in union. And then the third aspect of marriage that we have is we have that the, the man and woman are united together in commitment through sexual union. 
Okay, that is the consummation of the marriage. After we've declared that I am making a commitment to you that in the good times and in the not so good times, I am going to be there. I am going to be a constant in your life. My, my commitment to you is above any other relationship and I am committing to you for life. You then consecrate that commitment by sexual union. And that is why the sex is to be reserved exclusively for marriage. Because it's all about the consummation of the covenant. It's all about this declaration. It's all about showing what you've practically done. It's saying, no, the two are becoming one. And I am going to consummate this through sex. There's no other relationship like it. And it's intimate. And the sexual union is actually demonstrating and playing out that covenant. Not only in our own lives, but before Almighty God that we're saying, no, I, I've made a decision. I'm committed to you for the rest of my life. And that is the order. We leave our parents. We become one to join together. And then we become one flesh through sexual union. That's it. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, that is what marriage is about. And it plays out. It's supernatural. And even people that may not be following Jesus, there's a supernatural thing that happens through marriage. And it's completely different to any other order. Do you know the world in which we live messes up the order, hey? It goes a bit like this in the world in which we live. We fall in love. Or oh, we don't even fall in love. Boy meets girl, actually. It's boy meets... No, but it's sad, hey? This is it. Boy meets girl. We start sleeping together. We then think, oh, yeah, come on, we'll commit. Why don't we move in together? We then have a child, and then, oh, let's get engaged, and then maybe we'll get married when we've got enough money, because now we've got a mortgage, we've got a child. Things are kind of really busy, and we're juggling a lot. So if we get around to it, we'll get married. But you've got the engagement ring. That is the way in which our society does things. Why do we do that? It's because we're walking around in darkness, okay? That's what the Bible says before that um, we're blinded by darkness. God's not there pointing a finger. That's why he's sending us to be lights because he's like, I need people to know that there's a better way. People are bumbling in darkness and they make up their minds to do things a certain way because, hey, it feels right. Hey, this is nice. I like it this way. But do you know what the sad thing is? Is that our way doesn't work long term. Yeah, we may get a bit of fulfillment, but it does not work long term. It does not work. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is in, is in death. Do you know that they say that for cohabiting couples, less than 5% of them will be together in 10 years' time. 95% of cohabiting couples will break up before they reach their 10-year anniversary. There's a lot of brokenness behind that stat, hey? 
They say of couples that end up having a child, within the first five years of them having that child, 50% of cohabiting children and um, couples will have broken up. That's heartbreaking. I don't say that to kind of try and bolster anything. I say that because the heart of God breaks. Because he sees the brokenness that we end up getting into because we, we're so intent sometimes on doing things our own way. A psychologist, Dr. Patricia Morgan wrote, it's the greatest irony of all that one of the most common motivations for cohabitation is the desire to prepare safely and responsibly for marriage. It is, it now seems certain, a snare and a delusion. Far from cohabitation strengthening marriage, the evidence is that those who live together before marrying stand a higher chance of divorcing and certainly do when both parents, partners, sorry, have had a previous relationship where they cohabit with, cohabited with others. God loves you and I, and he loves marriage. And the enemy would do anything to seek to destroy marriages because it breaks people apart. And for us as believers, that's why it's so important that we have God at the center and that we follow his blueprint because he just wants to see our lives flourish. You know, once we get married, once we've gone through the ceremony, it's not like, right, I'm done now, move on with life. I've one of life's goals, get married, boom, done that, right, what's on to the next thing. It's not the way it works in marriage, okay? It's not like getting your dream job. It's not like, oh, I always wanted that car. Oh, you know, there we go, tick it off the list. What's my next goal? No, marriage is not like that. Marriage is about this constant relationship that is going to be in our lives for our whole life. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Nobody can tend to our relationships other than us. Okay, so only you can tend to your marriage relationship. Nobody else can do that. You've got to put the work in. I've got to put the work in. We've got to put work into our marriages to see them grow and flourish. They need our care and attention. And I love the way that Nikki Gumbel describes it. He, he described marriage as becoming his primary calling. I love that. When we choose to get married to somebody, we are saying, do you know what? I love you so much that I am, this is, if my life's work is getting to the end of my life with my husband and wife truly in love, that's it, that's all my aim is. That is a calling. Nikki Gumbel says that becomes his primary calling. And it should be our primary calling for our lives too. Marriage is that significant that we should think, I will do everything to see my marriage strong and go the distance. 
Marriages are not just a bolt-on. They're not just a now I share a bed and now we've got a mortgage together like society thinks that marriage is. It's more than that. And like I said earlier, this relationship, this marriage relationship actually is a reflection of the relationship that Jesus has with us, his bride. And we only have to look at the importance that Jesus places on that relationship for us to be able to see, well, actually, God does, like Jesus does put all of his eggs in one basket concerning us. He has completely invested in us and continues to do that. He laid down his life and we are his primary calling. You don't read about anywhere else in the Bible that's like, well, Jesus has got this plate spinning now and this plate spinning. No, he chose to die for the church, his bride. This is his calling. He, his whole purpose is to see us prosper, grow, have great relationship with him. Now, if that is Jesus's highest priority for us and our relationships are to mirror that marriage relationship, if Jesus places it as the highest priority, do you know what? I'm certainly going to want to follow Jesus. If he places it as his highest priority, we should place our marriages as our highest priority as well. It doesn't matter if we get to the end of our lives and we've got big bank balances and we've got great houses and we can boast about the amazing holidays we've been on. If our marriages are in tatters, we've lost the sense of um, our direction. We've got to prioritize our marriages. And sometimes we know that things are good and sometimes we know things are not quite right. Well, just don't walk away from things when things are not quite right. They just need a little bit of care and attention. They just need a little bit of investment. Yeah, it may be hard sometimes to openly share how you're feeling, but that's what we do because God doesn't want us to just to, he doesn't want us losing the preciousnesses of our marriages. It just requires a bit of work. And sadly, in the culture in which we live in, we live in a, a culture of disposable this. Oh, that worked for a while, but now that's not fitting the purpose. Right, throw it out onto the next thing. We can't treat our marriages like that. It's not, it's not God's best. And it leaves us broken. It leaves us broken. So we need to invest in our marriages the care and attention that they require. Strong marriages are built on strong communication and intimacy. And not just like, oh, you know, let's coordinate our watches um, date night, Friday night. No, this is like daily, like daily communication. Do you know there's lots of things that can come and try and grab our attention? Our children can. And yes, our children are important, but do you know what? The marriage relationship is even more important than our children. So if you're in a juggle of which one comes first, you pick sorting out your marriage. You, 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 you work on the marriage bit first, priorities. Get that right because that will naturally flow into how you are with your children. That will naturally have an impact on them. You're not going to solve any relationship issues in your marriage by investing all your time in your kids. Okay? 
And nor are you going to solve anything by working extra hours at night because you think you need a bigger bank balance because a better holiday is probably going to solve all the problems. It's not. It's better to be poor and happy in a marriage, okay? And that's not what popular culture would say, but it's the honest truth. Get, let's get to the end of the race saying, I got to the end of the race with my marriage strong and healthy. You know, another thing about marriage, if we look at role modeling it on Jesus, is all about prayer, hey? The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus continually makes intercession for us interceding for God, to God on our behalf. So prayer should form, form a big part of our marriages that we pray for one another because Jesus prays for us all the time. And prayer is powerful. It changes things. It changes things. And we need to follow Jesus' example as well in the way that he shows us to live out our lives in Ephesians 5. Let me read this to you in verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Those are big scriptures, hey, to, pull, to kind of work through in our lives. But this is God's pattern and blueprint. And it must be achievable for him to pop it in there because God doesn't pop things in there just for us to, to trip over and never attain it. No, he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us live this out. And this is about a cooperation and a collaboration with us saying, Lord, this is what your word says. Show me how to do this. Lord, this is what your word shows. Show me how to live this. This is what we are called to live out. We've got to live the way that Christ lives. And we've got to love, sorry, the way that Christ loves. Consider what Christ Jesus could have done for the church instead of laying down his life. He could have subjected her to criticism. Got enough points of, that you could probably pick up on criticism. He could have pointed out all our weaknesses, for there are many. He could have worried about us. Will we even go the distance? Because let's be honest, we only have to look in the Old Testament to see how the children of Israel were defaulting on all their promises all the time, serving other gods. So he could have sat there worrying, saying, if I'm going to do this, are they going to go the distance? Are they going to still love me in five years' time? He could have outright condemned us and said, you know what, I don't want her. She's just like, she's not spotless. She's not, be she's not, she's not all this. She's, she's an unworthy bride. There's not a lot going for her. But Jesus could have done that, but he didn't do that. He doesn't criticize us. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't pull us down. But no, when Christ looks at us, and if you read in the Bible, he's only got praise and encouragement for us. 
He never criticizes. Yes, we're people who are weak, who have loads of problems. We sin daily, yet he never criticizes us. And we may be sat here today thinking, surely Jesus can't just ignore our sin. You know, surely he can't, can't pretend that it never happened. But that is right. But this is what Jesus chose to do when he sees a blemished bride in front of him. He chooses to sweep up our problems in his arms. And he chose to carry these problems to the cross. And he chose to take them. And he said, do you know what? I know this bride has got a lot of problems. And I know there's a lot of stuff, but I prepare to take everything, all her weaknesses, all of her sins, all of her transgressions, I'm prepared to take them on the cross. And I'll deal with the punishment for them, for her. That's what Jesus chose to do. His, our problems got nailed at the cross. They were crucified with him. And that's why he doesn't criticize, because he's paid the price. He's done it. Yeah, he knows all our flaws, all our weaknesses. He's done it. And that's what he says that husbands are to love their wives like. That's the kind of love that husbands are to show for their wives. Not being harsh because we've got problems that maybe we've got weaknesses, maybe we struggle with depression or our emotions go up and down and we struggle with grief and we deal, you know, we find it hard to sometimes work through pain and, you know, we've got mistakes in our lives and regrets and we're battling through sickness and illness and, you know, we're inconsistent sometimes and we get irritated sometimes or sometimes more depending on things. But... Instead of a husband rejecting us because the list of our faults is large, the Bible says that husbands are not to reject us for all of those things, but just like Jesus, are to open their arms to us and embrace us and draw us close and say, I'm going to help you through this. I'm going to love you. I'm not going to criticize you. I'm going to strengthen you. That's how husbands are to love their wives. And that's just a, like a tiny kind of little example. The Holy Spirit will reveal this to us the more we spend time meditating on it. So, okay, so that's how like husbands are to love wives. So wives, what about us, ladies? What, what did that scripture say? Well, Jesus said we had to submit the way Jesus calls us submit. It's really interesting to note that in the first century, women were asserting their rights and climbing into positions of social prominence in ways that are very similar to what we see today. And the Apostle Paul was a great advocate of this. He penned the revolutionary scripture in Galatians 3.28 that says, There is no longer male or female, for we are all in Christ Jesus. But Paul also write, wrote, Wives, submit to your husbands. So on the surface of things, knowing in us, you know, in what we think submission is, we can think, oh, that sounds a bit demeaning, doesn't it, Paul? 
you know. But actually, on closer inspection, this whole thing of submission is not demeaning of women. It's actually exalting of her. The Greek word for the word submit is hypotasso, which means to place or to rank under. Our submission, women, to our husbands is not passive in as much as, right, I'm just going to respond to what he says or does. But our submission to him is actually active. We willingly lay down what is ours by right. So what does it mean to submit? Philippians 2 says this, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. That is a definition of active submission, where we choose to place another person ahead of ourselves. Because submission is all about ranking under, to place ourselves under somebody. Philippians says that we are to put other people's interests above ourselves. So Paul is calling us as wives to, in humility, count our husbands as more significant than ourselves. Yes, we're created equal to our husbands, but as wives, we choose to place our husband's needs above our own. We choose to do that. We put his interests before our own, and this is radical. This is radical love outworked in our lives that we will not find in the latest self-help book in W.H. Smith's about how to build strong marriages, okay? This is not the way of the world to put other people's interests above our own. But we are not called to imitate the world. We are called to imitate God, and this is his blueprint for us as wives. And do you know what? Jesus is our perfect role model in this whole area of submission. We get to see this outworked in the Bible. Just think, we were sinking in our sin. And we were in no position to ask Jesus to put our interests above his own. But that's exactly what he did. Jesus willingly gave up what belonged to him by right. And regarding our interests and desires and our needs, and he chose to place them more important than his own. It blows my mind. It blows my mind the Christ life, honestly. This is what it says in Philippians 2 in the message. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status to God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling on to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside his privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. 
He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, placing himself under, elevating us, obedient life, and then died a selfless, obedient death, the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. As wives, we are called to live and follow the supreme example of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He ranked our interests above his own. He was equal with God. But he, he chose to leave all of that to place himself under, to elevate us. And it says that God exalted him because of that. So just as husbands give himself up for his wife in love, and that is an image of Christ. So too, we as wives, as we elevate our husband's interests and elevate our husbands over ourselves, we are showing and demonstrating the image of Christ. And that is powerful. Because we've got to understand that our marriage relationships shine in the world in which we live. And they reflect God. And I don't know about, they reflect God and they reflect his relationship with us. And that's why the enemy will do anything to try and break down marriage. Because he wants to undermine, he wants to tarnish what Jesus actually did on the cross. He wants that marriage union in the minds of people to become so devalued that we don't place any value on what Jesus did. That people in the world think of, ah, it's nothing. When actually, no, what Jesus did was amazing. It was self-sacrificial. It was everything. But the enemy wants to attack that marriage because he wants to attack the representation of Jesus, the bridegroom, with his bride and all that that means for our lives. And that's why we've got to guard our marriages. He'd love to see our relationships compromised. Look at TV, literature, and music. There's not a lot of messages in there that will elevate marriage and elevate everything the way that we've discussed today. There isn't. So we've got to be really mindful of that and think really carefully about the things we watch, the things we listen to, the things that we allow to come in and influence us because the enemy will do anything and everything to try to seek to destroy us. It's a beautiful relationship of marriage. And next week, we're going to carry on looking at some other aspects. But I really felt on my heart to share this message. And I know for some of you, you may say, do you know what? I'm not married, though. But I would like to get married in the future. I'll just, as the musicians come, I'll just give you some words of advice. Based on what we've learned today, marriage is a lifelong commitment. So when you're choosing your spouse, choose wisely. First thing that should be a priority to you, does that person love Jesus with all their heart? That is the basis from which you want to enter into a marriage, is two people loving Jesus with all of their heart. Because honestly, it depends a bit sticky when you don't place that as the priority. And before you get married, you've got opportunity to get this right. Okay, once you're married, 
then hey, we're in this boat making this work out. But way better to spend the time sorting out the crucial questions first rather than dealing with things a bit later on and thinking, oops, I made a mistake. And do you know what? God's grace is there for our mistakes as well. So I know I don't say that, but I'm just saying before you make that commitment to marriage, really think about the things that are important because it's a beautiful union and you want that to be as fulfilling as God has planned it to be. And secondly, when you do find that person, do things in God's order. May not be popular with what the way the world is. None of your friends may be doing it that way, but don't sleep together before you get married. Okay, that's not what sex is for. It's not designed outside of marriage. It's for the consummation within marriage, and it's beautiful. Don't start preempting the order because God blesses his order of things. Okay, he blesses it. So I just want to encourage you, if you're looking to get married, you've got exciting days ahead and there's lots to think about, but think about keeping God at the center and following his blueprint. And for those of us that are married, then we have got a beautiful relationship that we are invested to. And you know what? Over the next, um, in the autumn time, we'll actually be going to be um, sharing with you a marriage course that you'll be able to get involved in if you like, um, which is like I think a six or a seven-week um, course, just looking at how we can build strength into our marriages. And we would encourage all of our married people to get in, involved in that because do you know what? Whether we've been married a week, a year, or 20 years we're on a journey of discovery we can always learn things we can always make things even better and we just got to prayfully ask the Lord to show us how we can do the right things that are going to build strength into our marriages and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us live out this Christ life concerning us for our marriages that we love the way that he wants us to love that we submit the way that he wants us to submit. And honestly, when we choose to do these things, we will see that our lives will be strong and that they will represent what God has designed for them to, um, to be represented. So you may be here this morning and you're like, oh gosh, I wasn't expecting to come to church and listen to a talk on marriage today. But maybe some of the things I've said has got you thinking just about your life and about the fact of that like you're like what Jesus and the church your relationship and marriage kind of thing right now one of the best decisions that you well the best decision not one of the best decisions that you can make and I talked about it at the beginning is placing God first it's placing God first in your life and you may say oh do you know what I think I may got the order, you know, quite similar on the other things, but I'm missing the top one. I'm missing God. Do you know, life works with God. Life works with God at the center, and he loves us all so much, and that is why he died on the cross for us. He's not a tyrant, like I said. He'll never force your hand in anything, but he asks and he invites us. In fact, he says he knocks on the door and asks us, will we accept him? Will we love him? You may be here today, and you're like, I, I want to I wanna accept Jesus. I don't know all about it, but I just know in me. I just know I need to make this decision. 
So if you're here and you've never asked Jesus to, into your life or you're watching online and you know there's that draw and there's that pull and you think, no, I want to get this right. I want to make God first priority in my life. Then why don't you say this prayer after me and say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you died on the cross. You took all of my sins, my shortcomings, my mistakes, and you took them on the cross and you bore them on your body. Lord, thank you that you loved me so much that you've forgiven me of my sins. Today, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to come in and change me. I want to know you more, and I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. You know, if you've prayed that prayer, you've made the best decision of your life. And our advice to you would be to just keep on turning up at church. Get a Bible. We've got one at the back. On the way out, you can grab one. Start reading the Bible and asking, you know, the Lord to kind of show you things. And you'll be amazed at the beautiful journey that you'll be involved in. Amen. Amen.